Amen. I'll tell you what, we, uh, we had the ladies' conference um, just this past Friday and Saturday, and no, I'm not a lady, but I did get to go. <laughs> yeah, thanks so much. But it was truly an incredible time talking about lavish love, talking about how much Jesus Christ loves us. And it's interesting because I think we think about that, we talk about that, you know, we accept that, but how much do we really believe that? How much do we really believe that he loves us versus what the enemy tells us. See, the enemy tells us just the opposite of that. He tells us that we're not worthy of being loved. He tells us and confuses us that a loving God would never love us because of who we are, because of what we do. But he does. And what we're talking about this morning is simply believing what he says. And i, I got to tell you, um, it's always interesting how, you know, I've not been a pastor very long, a uh, little over a year. And I've been, if you count preaching to the youth, uh, then, then I've been preaching a little longer than that. But it never ceases to amaze me the process that the Lord puts me through on this. Because I, I don't know, I don't know a lot of preachers and how they do things. Um, I, I know that they're probably uh, a lot more prepared than I am when they step up to the microphone. I'm prepared in a different way, and and the Lord's always done this ever since we began. Because the thing I was most nervous about in, when He said, "I want you to start a church." I, my response was, Lord, I'm not a preacher. I mean, I could preach. I could tell people stuff, but I'm not a preacher. How in the world do I come up with all these things that you want me to say? And he was real simple in his response. You don't have to. Just trust me, is what he said. And from that day, and I can tell you, the process he takes me through is different because what I do every day is I get in the Word. Not for you guys, for me. For me, what He does in my life, what He directs in my life, and then it's, Lord, whatever you want to bring out that morning, just bring out. And He does that. And I, I, I give you this example because I want you to understand and he does this a lot to me too, what, what I think I might be talking about, you know, stepping into that weekend, oftentimes he'll change. Last minute. And he did that again to me this morning. And I say that because I want you to understand, we're going to pray here in a second, but I want you to understand that this is from the Lord. This isn't from me. This is from him. And it is as much for you as it is for me. And these are things that he's been dealing with me on for weeks and perhaps months. But let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, Lord, we worship you. We praise you. We thank you for your presence because your presence here is so thick this morning. I thank you for the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit who opens our eyes to your word. Without him, we just read words. We can bring into our intellect things, but we cannot bring into our heart things without him. So we thank you for him this morning. I pray for each person here this morning that they will open their eyes, open their hearts, open their minds to your leading. I pray every word that proceeds out of my mouth this morning is directly from you. I desire there not to be any word that comes from me. Because God, I need this as much as they do. So I pray for you to work in an awesome and miraculous way this morning. Thank you for each person here in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of years ago, when God really started changing my heart, and not changing it, I, I you know, often I, I used to say, I wish I had a testimony that, you know, I turned from drug use, and I turned from this and that, and did a 180, and now I'm, everything's, but it, it, my life wasn't like that. I grew up a Christian. I, I was saved when I was nine. You know, I, I used to I used to, in high school, I used to go door to door and tell people they're going to hell because they don't know Jesus. You know, so I, I grew up in high school, I was one of these goody two-shoe, you know, guys. Okay, so my recollection of things may be different in that testimony, but, but I was as far from knowing Jesus Christ then as many people who did not know him, although I was saved. And I want you to understand that there is a difference from being saved, being justified of our sin, because Jesus Christ's blood is covering our sin. There's a difference in that versus having a relationship with him. And I know we've talked about this a lot, but what I want to bring out this morning is something that the Bible says that I guess I don't see. And, and it began bothering me about three years ago, two and a half, three years ago. I had read the book of Acts, I can't even tell you how many times. I've been teaching the Word of God for 25 years. I've probably been through the book of Acts 50 times. And when I went through it three years ago, or two and a half years, or whatever it was, around that time frame, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Why don't we see that today? This church of Acts, as you read the beginning of the church, the body of Christ, and you see what they did, we're going to go through some of this today, but why don't we see this today on a large scale? Now, I think you do see it today, in pockets. Although, as I've been different places in the world, those pockets 
tend to not be here. I've seen it in Mexico. I've seen it in Ghana. I've seen it in Nigeria. But you don't see it here as much. You see aspects of it. You see portions of it. But where is the church of Acts today? And when I say that, I mean, where are the miracles? I, I don't mean miracles that a person says they feel better, and there's no real way to prove it. You know, if you look in the Word of God, through the Gospels and in Acts, it, it, was, it was evident. When Jesus said to a demonic spirit to come out, he came out. And there was a physical reaction when he said to a blind, be healed, receive your sight. He received his sight. It wasn't, well, you know, go home, keep praying, and I think over the next 24 hours it's going to get better. See, but that's what we see today. Now, you have to understand, I am coming from the perspective of a person that didn't believe this at all. Cessationism was the fact that I believed it no longer happens today. And that's where that journey started for me three years ago. As I read the book of Acts, you know, God, what was the point in putting this in your word for us to read if it didn't apply to today? And and I've told this story a hundred times, and I'm not going to tell it today, but I I painstakingly went through the Word of God. And I went through and I, I looked at those verses and I, I dug into the Greek, went into the Old Testament with the prophets and everything. I dug into it because I needed to know if I was wrong. And you know, you know the outcome of that. I mean, clearly. <laughs> My life has changed dramatically over the last two years. But still, what got me on this road, I still don't see. And it's what grieves me. It, it's, it's, and it grieves me not in a way that is negative. It, maybe grieve isn't even the right word. It's more of a yearning. Because, see, when I read the book of Acts, I see a 100% committed group of people that saw miracle after miracle after miracle. They didn't just see one thing today and it lasted them for ten years. No, they saw miracle after miracle after miracle. And they didn't just see it with one person. They saw it with everybody. It got to the point where Peter, they just wanted to get people in his shadow. Now that wasn't to lift up Peter's name. That wasn't to say how great Peter was. Had nothing to do with Peter except one thing. He believed God. He believed what Jesus said that he would do. He believed him. He didn't just believe in him. There's a difference. You know, two things have been really powerful to me that the Holy Spirit has said to me. The first words out of his mouth was, I love you. That was huge. When you hear the God of this universe say, I love you, and you hear that audibly, that is powerful. Why? Because we don't deserve it. 
It's like, why, why, why do you love me? I, we don't deserve that. But second to that, that was powerful to me, was he said, thank you for trusting me and not just trusting in me. See, that formulated a difference in my mind. And that's, that's where this concept of believe me, don't just believe in me came from. See, he wants us to believe him, not just in him. Think about that early Acts church. What happened? Thousands were saved every day. Every day. Now, was this because, oh, it was a new concept? You know, think about it. That, that's how I justified it. Well, of course that happened in Acts. They had never heard about it before. But think about that, really. On, on a real practical scale, it's just the opposite. The fact that that happened was extreme. It was ridiculous. It was unexpected. Why? Because they just crucified him. They just crucified Jesus Christ. And they believed that they had crucified a heretic. So why, of all those people in the, the, at, at the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell and 3,000 came to know him, it wasn't because they saw him resurrected. See, they didn't. They couldn't have. There were only 500 people that saw him resurrected. So they came to know him by faith. What was the difference? It was because Peter was filled with power. The very power of the Holy Spirit. What would happen? I want you to really think about this. What would happen today if a group of believers simply and honestly believed what Jesus said? And not just in him but believed what he said. Took the word of God and believed it. Period. Not go through and, well, we kind of changed this and, you know, believe him, not just in him. Why don't we do that? Why don't, why don't we see that today? Why don't we see that group of believers? And, and by the way, I, I'm including all types in this. Okay, I was a cessationist before. Now I'm a continuationist, I think is what it's called. Okay, on both ends of the scale, whether you believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit or whether you don't believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't matter because I don't see the book of Acts today. Why? What would happen if a group of believers, what would happen if this group right here actually believed what he said instead of managing the word of God. See, we manage the word of God according to what we can receive, what we can take in. As I read this, well, well, there's a reason for that. And, and let's go over and here's really what's going on. Or, well, that's not for today, as we talked about before. Or, or, well, you know, of course, 3,000 people got saved in that message because that was the beginning. That was the church. They had never heard it before. See, we manage the Word of God. We take the truth of it. We add our own spin to it, just like politics. 
We hear what, what's going on. We produce our own spin to it. So we feel better. So we feel good about a cause. Or we feel good about what's going on. We spin the word of God. Why? So we feel better. So we're not held so accountable for what God wants to do in us. What if I were to tell you he wants each of you to be like a Peter? Do you, if, if you read the word of God and, and you, you study Peter's life, it's actually really amazing to study Peter's life. Because here's a man who, and, and i, I got to tell you, I, I really enjoy Peter. I, I identify with Peter. He had the you know, foot-and-mouth disease, the whole time he was with Christ. Every time, he, he was this guy that would jump before he thought. You know, think about it. And, and that's good and bad, by the way. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, someone came after Christ, he cut the guy's ear off. Okay, that would be bad. Okay, when, when Jesus was risen from the grave, they're out there, they're all depressed, they're out fishing. He sees, he sees Jesus on the shore. He didn't wait for the guys to row in. He just jumps off the boat. Could okay, you see? On both ends of the scale, he was just this react first. We'll figure out the rest later. You know, I identified with that, and I used to love to study Peter, but, but if you look at his life, you see a distinct difference from the Gospels to the book of Acts and his books. I mean, a distinct difference. And you can identify when it happened. It happened in Acts 2. We're going to go into that. I'm not sure how far we'll get today because I, I just think this is going to be more than one Sunday. But a distinct difference happened in him. Before we get there, I, I want to I wanna lay some groundwork here, though. With, with what God says to us as believers that we could count on, that we could believe in. Okay, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. And two of the greatest words in the Word of God are found in this passage. We're going to read verses 1 through 17, and we're just going to see what the Lord has. Ephesians 2, <coughs> begin at verse 1. And this is talking about grace through faith. You know, Paul here is talking to Christians. And you were dead in trespasses and sins. Verse 2, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the son of disobedience. You once walked in that. That's who you were, among who we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. See what he's laying out here? is we were dead. We were headed in the wrong direction. We were headed to a place God could not be. But then the two greatest words in the Word of God. Verse 4, but God. Here we are, losers, absolute losers, but God. But God, verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, 
even when we were dead in our trespasses. He made us alive together with Christ. By the grace you by grace you have been saved. And he, verse 6, he raised us up with him, with Christ, and seated us with him in the heavenly, heavenly places in Jesus Christ. Think about this. Okay, really, I want you to grasp this, because none of us are seated at the right hand of God with Jesus Christ right now, right? I mean, we're all here in a living room. But wait a second. That's what the Bible says. Okay, it's not using future tense here. It's saying right now, He has raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ so that in the coming ages He might show us the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. Now I want you to understand the coming ages. That just means beyond this moment. Don't assume that that's when we're in heaven. See, we think that because we don't think we're seated with Christ until we die. But that's not true. We're seated with Him as soon as we accept Him. He brings us up. He seats us with Him. Why? Because we take on Christ's righteousness. We take on His righteousness covered us with His blood. So that's what the Father sees. And, and further on, if you continue reading, it says we are in Christ, and Christ is in the Father, therefore we are in the Father. That's not future tense, guys. That's right now. See, what he's trying to tell us is, do you understand the inheritance that you've already got in Jesus Christ? Let's keep reading. Verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that any may boast. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship. Whose workmanship? The Father's. Do you understand that? We are the Father's workmanship, created in Jesus Christ for what? For good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Verse 11, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles, that's everybody who's not a Jew, by the way. I think we're all Gentiles here. Called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. See, before Christ died on the cross for our sins, we, we as Gentiles, everybody that was not the Jewish nation, were separated from Christ. They had to go and they had to become Jewish in their belief. They had to believe in a coming Messiah. They had to have physical things happen. They had to be circumcised. They had to do all these things. They had to abide by the law just like the Jews did. Okay, And what Paul's talking about here, and we, if, if you go on, he, he actually talks about this being a, a secret in the Word of God, was that he was allowed to reveal, right, that the Gentiles were grafted in, that we were grafted into that same promise. 
We were grafted into all the things of God. So, don't think this doesn't apply to you. Don't think that the principles in the Word of God only apply to the Jewish nation, or only apply to those who were in the Old Testament, or only apply to the apostles. Well, because why? They were the apostles. See, it didn't just say the apostles were grafted in. It didn't just say that those in the church of Acts, they, they were grafted in. We're all grafted in to these promises. So every one of the promises we pull out of the word of God, if we know Jesus Christ as our Savior, we can claim every one of them. They are meant for us. Did I get to 17? I don't think I did. Uh, separated us from Christ. Uh, verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Again, his blood covers us. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. See, why did Christ have to be beaten? Why couldn't he just be sacrificed? You ever wonder that? Why did he have to go through not just the pain of the cross, but the pain before? The beatings, the ridicule. See, that was the literal breaking down of his flesh for us. There was something going on there a lot more than just him paying for, for sin being beat and shedding blood. He was breaking down this great divide, this great wall between the enemy and God, between Gentile and Jew. So that by this process of him being broken down, by this process, we could be grafted in. We could obtain the same promises that he gave the Jews. By verse 15, I think. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, which is the law, that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in what? One spirit. See, he begins to introduce the process. He said, I already broke down the wall. I already broke down and gave the possibility of you coming to heaven to be with him or or us being seated at the right hand with Christ, he, he already did that. And what he did now is gave us access through what? Through his spirit. Through that one spirit. I want you to go back to verse 10. See, when we're saved, it doesn't just end there. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, it doesn't just end there. This isn't about us being saved and us getting some good life. Why did Jesus create us in the first place? 
It was love. He wanted love. He wanted our love. He wanted fellowship. That's what he craved. That's what he got from Adam and Eve before the fall. So throughout history, he wants us to have fellowship with him. That's why we're created. Verse 10. Let's look back at that. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. For what? For good works. For good works. What is a work? It's something you do outside of yourself. It's something you do for others. It's not something that you do just to consume. See, he created us to be applied to other people. He created us to have an effect on the people around us. He did that. Why? The end of the verse. That we should walk in them. See, it's, it's not about doing something and having that little check mark that, well, I did that. You know, I, I taught a Sunday school class, check. Now I'll move on to something else so I could check something else off. See, he wants us to move in them, move in these good works. How do we do that? See, we can do that. And don't, don't misunderstand. You can do it in your own flesh. You could do it in your own power. I did that for years. I taught the word of God in my own power, and there were times that the Holy Spirit worked through me. But there were many times I did it in my own power. There are good things we do all the time in our own power. Do you understand there's a difference when you let the Holy Spirit do it through you? We're going to get to that. But that's huge. See, he wants us to walk continuously in these. Walk continuously in these good works. Go back just a couple pages to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16. Ephesians 1, and we're going to read 16 through 19, says this. I do not cease to give thanks for you, Paul says, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you what? the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that you may what? Know. Not that you may possibly think, not that you might get after time. He said that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might? See, I want to notice, I want you to notice a couple things there. One, he gives us what? He gives us the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now you'll notice probably in your Bibles that that's a capital S. Okay, that's the Holy Spirit. He gives us the Holy Spirit to what? To give us 
this revelation and knowledge of him, this wisdom of what he has for us. It's not that he gave us the word of God. That's not what this verse is talking about. Okay, because they already had the Old Testament. They already had the word. What he said is, I give you an interpreter. I give you somebody that can explain it to you. I give you somebody that can work through you and do what I want you to do. I give you the Holy Spirit. I give you the very Spirit of God to do this. Think about that. He's saying, look, 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 I know this is overwhelming. I know that saying that you're in Christ and and Christ is in me, therefore you're in me, being God the Father, I know that could be overwhelming. Because there's 66 books here. There's a lot of verses to know and understand. There's a lot of things that could be overwhelming becoming a Christian. Man, it was so much easier before I knew God. I only had to do whatever I wanted to do. Now i got to learn 66 books? I don't even know how many verses. Are, are you kidding me? How do I do that? Oh, and Father says, don't worry about it. I'm giving you a gift. I'm giving you an interpreter. And, and by the way, he, has, he will give you access any time you ask for it. I give you this interpreter. He's going to reveal scripture to you. You can read it on your own. You can pull it into your intellect on your own. But that doesn't give you meaning. That doesn't give you application. You can live by some principles. You know, well, I give 10% of my money and God blesses it. Why? He promises. You know, you can receive that in with your intellect. And by the way, it works. It's kind of like investing. You know, if, if you invest in something that gives a percentage return, you know it's going to work. Why? Because it's a principle. So you can read the Bible and you can receive things as a principle and they'll work for you. But I want to tell you there's a vast difference between that and letting the Holy Spirit Speak to you through it and apply it. That's why we see a difference in the church of Acts. Because what in in Acts 2, or I think it might be Acts 3, you read about the church that they gave everything. Nobody had need within that church. They didn't just apply the principle of, well, 10% and I'll get back and, you know, whatever. I mean, Ananias and Sapphira kind of applied that, and you know how it turned out for them. (laughs) Bottom line is the Holy Spirit interpreted for them, if you give me everything, I'll give you more. That's extraordinary. It's extraordinary. It's not heard of today. And that's, that's applied monetarily, but you know, it applies every single way. If you trust me in a miracle, I'll give you a miracle. Ooh, that's tough. Now all of a sudden we hit a comfort zone that 
Even charismatics have a hard time with. You know, what about that person who's blind and they don't get healed? You know, that was some of the tough things for me. Reconciling that with the Word of God. See, because I don't see that in the Word of God. In the Word of God, the only place I saw that someone was not healed when the desire was there to be healed by Jesus was Nazareth. And it was because of unbelief. It was because they lacked the faith to even desire it. Everywhere else. Everybody was healed. Perfectly healed. And, and I don't want to diminish at all what we see go on today. I don't want to diminish. Please understand that's not where I'm coming from. I'm not, because God does heal. He does heal backs. He does heal cancer. He does heal things we can't see. But you know what? Those are the easy ones for us. Especially if you're there praying over someone. Well, how are you feeling now? Okay, a little bit better or not at all? Okay, well, let's, let's pray again. How's it now? Okay, and, and, and I don't know about you. I've been on the receiving end of that where, where I'm like, well, I really feel awkward that he keeps praying, so I'm going to say it feels a little better just so I could go back to my seat. And, and I, I know that's tough to hear. But that, that's where I was at a couple of years ago. Why? That, I don't see that in the Word of God. See, I, I see when Jesus healed, they were healed whole. I see when, when Peter and the apostles, when they healed, when Paul healed, they were made whole. Now, that's not to say that that God will heal everything because he has reason for what he does. You know, there, there, was, there was something, this, this, this uh, thorn in Paul's side that he could not get rid of. As much as he prayed for it to be gotten rid of, he could not be got, he, it, it could not be gotten rid of. But it doesn't have to be a mystery because the Bible tells us why. It said, for the sake of Paul and for his pride... It could not be gotten rid of. So from that we can glean that God does things for a purpose. But yet we read, and what we see in the book of Acts as the original church, we just don't see it today. Even in the realm of miracles. And even in the charismatic circles. Which I am gladly a part of. And just three years ago, I wouldn't have said that. But still, why? You know, I go back to my first question. What would it look like if a group of people actually believed what Jesus Christ said in his word? But back to, to Ephesians 1, God tells us three things here. He sends us the spirit of wisdom and revelation to teach us, to enlighten our hearts, it says in verse 18, but it's to know three things. And this is important because it's not a mystery. If you allow the Holy Spirit to show you, the Christian walk does not have to be a mystery. It says it right here. He tells us 
three things that we're to know that, that the Holy Spirit is there to reveal for. One, the hope that he has called us to. What does it say? Verse 18, having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Now, I don't think that applies to just heaven. I could be wrong. But I don't know about you. My hope is not just in heaven. My hope is in my relationship right now. See, if my hope were just in heaven, why wouldn't I try to get there as quickly as I could? But see, my hope is in the relationship that I have with him. My hope is what he does in my heart when I'm obedient to him. We talked about obedience last week. That being the door that you open for him to give blessing. There has to be obedience first. Right? So he wants us to know what that hope is. What are the riches of your glorious inheritance? In the saints. Again, don't make the mistake of thinking this is just heaven. You know, the riches of what we receive in a relationship with Jesus Christ is not just what we're going to receive in heaven. It's what we're doing right here. It's what he wants to do in us right here. Do we believe that? And then number nine, er, verse 19 gives us the third one. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Immeasurable greatness of his power. Have we seen that? See, I see it in the Gospels. I see it in Acts. I see the immeasurable greatness of his power in creation. But I didn't need the Holy Spirit to see that. In fact, the Bible says that that is a way that Jesus shows that he, as the creator, is to be worshipped because of creation. So a person who doesn't even know Christ can look at creation and say, wow, an awesome God made this. I mean, just, just go to the Colorado mountains where I'm convinced God lives. Walk around there. Look around. Go to some of these beautiful places in the earth. And you don't need the Holy Spirit to tell you there's a God because of this beautiful creation. So what's it talking about here? The Holy Spirit reveals the immeasurable greatness of his power. That's the power that he interacts with you and me. I'll tell you what, you will never feel the power more great than when he is working in you. When the Holy Spirit literally takes you over in a situation you're in that he's called you to, and all of a sudden, man, you're, you're just, you don't even know what you're saying. You don't even know what you're doing because of what he's doing in you. That's the immeasurable greatness of his power that he wants to show us. It doesn't come automatically. 
It, it didn't say that. It says he sends the Spirit to give us the wisdom of this revelation. We have to engage with that Spirit. I want you to turn to Mark chapter 9. Do we believe what God says? Do we just take him at his word? You know, what's going on here, This Jesus heals a boy with an unclean spirit. And what happened was, we, we won't read the whole thing, but what happened was this man, this father, had a, had a son who had an unclean spirit from birth. And he, he, this, this unclean spirit, this demon, would, would try to kill his little boy, throw him into the fire, throw him into the water. He, he tormented this little boy, and, and this man went to the disciples and, and tried to get the demon cast out, and they couldn't do it. So he came to Christ, and he said they, they couldn't do it, and, and, you know, can you do it? And I love his reaction. Okay, anybody who says Jesus doesn't have a sense of humor, you just need to read between the lines. Let's start at verse 23. Or no, let's go back. Verse 22. And it is often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said, if you can... Yeah, I, I don't know about you. I, I just I, I just denote a, almost a sense of sarcasm there. If I can, have you not seen what's been going on? Have you not seen what the Spirit does through me? If I can. Now the next statement is critical. I want each of us to get this to believe it and not set it aside. And, and I want to be careful to make you, have you understand, this is not taking anything out of context. And that's important to understand because you can easily take things out of, out of context, apply them in the wrong way. That's, that's why I wanted to go through the entire story. What's he say? If you can, he said, all things are possible. For one who believes. Let me read that again. All things are possible. He didn't say through me. All things are possible because I am here and I can do everything. Which is true, by the way. Jesus could do anything. He's God. But that's not what he said. He said all things are possible for what? For the one who believes. Do we believe the word of God? And, and by the way, you just, you just read through that. And, and I love the man's response. Immediately the father cried out, I believe. Help my unbelief. I believe you, Lord. Please help me. How many times have we done that? God, I trust you. I trust. Please help me. Because there's that little twinge of lack of faith. And this is God's grace. This is God's grace because he doesn't want us to have this pure, absolute faith, and we have that before he does anything. He wants us to step out of our comfort zone, 
commit ourselves. And I love this. I heard a preacher say that, or maybe I read it in a book, can't remember. And it said, if you want to do something and take a step of faith that means something to God, then put yourself in a position where you're going to look like a fool if it doesn't happen. That's huge. Now, by the way, don't pick something and just do it because you know you'll look like a fool if it doesn't happen. That's not the point. It's got to be something God is leading you in. But if he's leading you in something and he says, take that step and trust me, cry out like the father. This father of the young man. I believe you, Lord. Help my unbelief. I'm going to take this step, this step towards you. But God, I need you to meet me here. Because I'm going to look pretty stupid if you don't. But I trust you. And I, I can just imagine... I could just imagine the father saying, just come. Just come, just step and see what I do. See, I can tell you from personal experience what he does. Because when he told us to close the business, shut it down, sell all the equipment, that was really hard, and I've shared that story many times. That was really hard to do. But you know what? We took that, Lord, we believe you help our unbelief. <laughs> we didn't take that step because we knew that we were going to be starting a church. In fact, we had no clue. I thought at that time that I would be hired by the church that I was working in and just be on staff there. And, and Lord, I, I know you'll leave me hanging for a little bit just to build my faith and stuff. Thanks. You know, but not too long, you know, because I'm, I'm sure I'm going to get this job at the church. And, you know, after all, I've been the worship leader here for 10 years. Time to get paid for it since you told me to get rid of my income. So I, I had it all figured out in my mind. So I took the step, Lord, I believe you. But then that twinge in me was like, well, yeah, but I don't have the job. In fact, there's some real problems going on. But Lord, I trust you anyways. Why? Because you told me to do it. And I took that step. And my life has been a whirlwind ever since. A whirlwind. In a good way. <laughs> For those of you who don't like wind, I mean that in a good way. It's been extraordinary what he's done. See, that's what he wants from each one of us. He wants us to take a step of faith, and it, it's okay if we have some doubt. It's okay. He's a good, good father. He loves us. Those of you who have children, you don't beat your children because they didn't fully believe you the first time you said, do this. But what did you do? You embraced them and you loved when they took that step of trust. Well, what did Jesus do here when that man took that step and he said, I believe you, help my unbelief. What, what was Jesus' reaction? Perfectly took care of the boy, cast out the demon. By the way, he didn't pray and cast him out and how do you feel now? 
Okay, okay. No, and, and, and I want to be so careful. I'm not trying to diminish that at all. Please know my heart. But there is something happening in this world right now that is different than has ever been before since the Church of Acts. And perhaps we'll get into this in this series a little bit. But we're coming into a time in this world where things are going to happen differently than what they've been in the past in terms of the Spirit. Peter talks about that. The book of Joel talked about that. We'll, we'll perhaps get into that. But you have to understand that, that what God's intention is for the Word of God to be believed and trusted in its entirety and fullness. Not just how it applies to me. Not just how it applies to my capacity. Right? I want you to turn to John chapter 20. And, and I'm going to just lay out this last piece of foundation and then we're going to talk about it more next week. But this is important because I didn't get this before. And, and when I, even, even after I began to believe in how the Holy Spirit worked, I did not understand this part of it. John chapter 20, verse 22. I um, guess I should turn there, right? <laughs> Might help. Okay, John chapter 20, verse 22. Let me tell you what's, what's going on here. Jesus had died on the cross. He had risen from the grave. And this is the first time that he saw his disciples. Okay, that he appeared to the disciples. And, it, you know, there, if, if you look through a couple of the books, and they, they have different pieces that they add to it, okay, where he spent time with them, he ate with them, and, and this was the first time he saw them. What did he do? Let's read uh, verse 22. And when he had said this, after, after what he just said, he breathed on them, the disciples, and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. But again, verse 22, end of verse 22. Receive the Holy Spirit. See, up to this point, they could not have the Holy Spirit. This promised Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, that becomes the seal of our salvation the seal of our justification, that golden ticket to heaven, if you will. The Holy Spirit seals that when we accept Jesus Christ. They didn't have that yet. Why? Because Christ hadn't died yet. In the three years that he was with all the disciples in ministry, they were still under the law. Christ was under the law. Do you understand that? There wasn't salvation the way we know salvation until he rose from the grave. There couldn't be, because there was no payment for that sin. That's why Jesus Christ had to live according to the law. He lived and perfected his life through the law, which no man could do. That's why Jesus had to become a man. That's why God came down, became a man, so he could live this 
perfect, sinless life under the law. There was nothing that he did wrong. There was nothing that he did not fulfill. And by the way, that's not just the Ten Commandments. (laughs) If, If you understand what the Bible teaches, there was so much more than that. He came and perfected the law. So now, when he died on the cross and he rose from the grave, now, justification for sin was available. So when he breathed the Holy Spirit, you've got to understand the disciples believed who he is. When they saw him, they recalled, if you read in, uh, I want to say it was Mark, I can't remember, one of the other Gospels where it talks about this, this encounter, you know, where they knew the Holy Spirit revealed to them all the things that he had said. Oh wow, now we see you in front of us. Oh, now we know what you meant by raised from the grave. Now we know what you meant by dying on the cross, spending three days in the grave and raising again. Now we understand. We believe. And he blew the Holy Spirit on them. They received that guarantee. They received that seal. Okay, but I want you to turn now to Acts chapter 1. Because I didn't get this before. And it's important. Acts chapter 1, we're going to read verse 4 through 8. And this is at the same time period when, when he, he was with them. He, he had not yet ascended into heaven. It says verse 4, And while staying with them, with the disciples, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. I don't know about you, but that confused me. Wait a second. John 20, earlier in that process, you, you, you just blew the Holy Spirit on them. So, so what does that mean? That th- there's clearly a difference there. Why? Because they were already given the Holy Spirit in John chapter 20. And, and you'll see as we go further that when they received the power of the Holy Spirit, it was after the Lord Jesus Christ had ascended. So it's not a timing issue. What he blew on them, he was in person with them. It was after he rose from the grave, he blew on them the gift of the Holy Spirit. But he didn't give them the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a difference. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. Maybe that's why. Maybe that's why we don't see the power today that they saw in the church of Acts. But let's keep reading. Verse 6. Remember, he said, just wait. Don't depart Jerusalem, just wait. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord... Will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? See, I I love humans. And we do the same thing. When when God says something, we assume it's going to be tomorrow. Or we assume it's going to be right away. You know, I've told this story before. When the Holy Spirit tells me soon, it's almost become a joke. And I mean a joke in a, 
in a like I have no clue way. Soon, his soon is clearly different than my soon. And, and, and humans, we just think it's going to happen right away. So they're, they're thinking, well, God, you, you did what you said. You died on the cross. Now we have, have the gift of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and so when, you, when we wait in Jerusalem for a few days till the Holy Spirit comes, are you coming back and, and you're going to set up your earthly kingdom then? No. That's not what he says. Let's keep reading. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. So that was answering their question about timing. But now he says in verse 8 what's going to happen. But you will receive power. Dunamis. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. See, when we apply this to us, it takes on a whole new meaning. Because I know that I was sealed with the Holy Spirit. I know when I accepted Jesus Christ at nine years old, I was sealed. I was, he guaranteed me heaven. He guaranteed me to be with Jesus Christ in heaven. And the Holy Spirit, that seal on my, on my spirit, was a guarantee of that. But in 42 years of being saved, I can tell you, I have not experienced the kind of power that I read in Acts chapter 2 that was promised to them, they waited for, and then it happened. See, there's a disconnect there. And that's what I struggled with. And that's why it's so easy to say, well, that was really for the disciples. That was really for back then just to kind of get the church going. But there's nothing in the word of God that said it only applied to them. In fact, just the opposite. He said it, that, that the gifts last until, if you, if you read uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 and 14, it says that they last until the perfect comes, until Jesus Christ comes and we see him face to face, no longer in a mirror, no longer seen dimly, but we see him face to face. So if that's the case, then this applies to me. And that's what's hit me so hard. Because, you know, I've shared before a few of the, the things the Holy Spirit has told me and told Alexis and told a few of us. And some of the prophecies we've received. But, and, and the prophecies are one thing, but it's different when it comes direct from the Holy Spirit. And some things he said that he wants to do in us, do in ignition, you know, we're, we're supposed to be all over the world. <laughs> and we're in a living room. Man, I'll tell you what, if you don't believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, you're never going to get there from here. But do you understand? They were in an upper room. They were told to wait for the Holy Spirit to fall. 
And when he did that very day, 3,000 were saved. That very day. Do you believe that applies to you? I do. And, and, and yet, I see all these gifts that people are given. And I wonder, why, Lord? It, it, what, what have I not figured out yet? It, what, what in your word don't I know yet? I'm begging, I'm pleading with the Holy Spirit to reveal to me why this hasn't happened yet. You know, Holy, Holy Spirit has told me that I will operate in all the gifts. I don't. I have in portion operated in four of them, but in portion. And when each one happened, I thought, this is it. It's going to happen now. Because I, I, I believed, but it didn't. I remember, and this was actually when, when I had met Aaron. I was up at Life Center, and, and we were at a, a open house for the school, and I went forward and, and, you know, was down, down in front and we're all just praying and, and everything else. And, and I, I'm praying there and, and I, I felt this welling up in, just from the pit of, of my stomach, this welling up. And I knew what the Lord was about to do. And I, I thought that was it. You know, he, he's going to give me this gift of tongues, and, and, and I'm going to speak in this and pray in this, and, and my, my whole life has changed after this. And he did. He did it twice, and then it stopped. And it hasn't happened since. And, and i got to tell you, that this is something that's been a little bit of a struggle for me, not because of what I believe the Lord's doing, but because what I've been instructed to do, well, you've got to practice it. And I, I don't want to belittle any of that. But that's not what I read in the Word of God. See, because when, when the Lord fell at Pentecost, they didn't practice anything. They didn't practice praying healing over somebody. They didn't practice tongues. The tongues fell on them. It was instant. It was extreme. It happened. Why? Because they waited. And they had faith. See, Jesus just said, wait. And that's what he's been putting so heavy on my heart. That's where he has us. I don't know for how long. But I'm confident in the outcome. See, the Holy Spirit's about to fall in this church. And he's about to fall in a way that is going to take every one of us out of our comfort zone. I, I, I don't want to scare you in that. I want to excite you in the fact that the Holy Spirit of God is going to overwhelm you he is going to overwhelm this church. This church is going to overwhelm Newark. 
Newark is going to overwhelm this whole region. We're to be sent seven places in the world to do the same thing we're doing right here in Newark. He's going to overwhelm those places. Why? Because he wants to. All he wants is people to believe him. Believe what he says, not just believe in him. Believe him. Be patient and wait. Don't try to grasp at things. Have faith and wait. Because when he comes, he's going to overwhelm you in a way that isn't him, or isn't you, it's him. He will get all the glory for it because there's no way it could be us. See, the Holy Spirit fell in an extraordinary way. Last verse, go to chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. This is what they waited for. Jesus said, wait. That was one of the last things he said to the disciples. Just stay in Jerusalem. Wait for me. Just wait. And you're going to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's see what happened. Verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. I love that next word. Suddenly. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. They were all, every one of them, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And this commotion brought that entire crowd. So this was not an interpersonal thing. (laughs) Okay, something that just happens in me personally is not going to bring thousands of people from the hearing of it. He said he came like a rushing wind. This was something that was dramatic. This was something that was unexpected. The disciples had no clue what was coming. How could we possibly know our reaction when the very power of God invades who we are? (laughs) I don't know about you, but I haven't a clue. I mean, I see see what happened here. You know, and, and there's a lot more here than you might read on the surface. There was more than them just speaking in tongues. Why? Because all the people that came rushing to them said, what are they, drunk? You know, if I started speaking French, would you think I was drunk? Okay, maybe French. What if I started speaking Spanish? No, you wouldn't think I was drunk. You'd think, oh, well, I don't understand. He's speaking another language. See, they thought he was drunk. Or they thought all of them were drunk. Why? Because the Holy Spirit invaded them fully. And their body reacted in such a way that they could not control it. 
They spoke in these tongues. You know, I would assume that when you see a person drunk, what do you, you know, when you know someone's drunk, what do you see? You see them stumbling around. You see them laughing. You see them crying. You see them falling down. You see them prostrate. You see them out of control of themselves. That's the very thing that the Holy Spirit wants of us. But it's the very thing we hold on to because of our conditioning. I'm an American, and I love control. I love control because I can't let people see me out of control. But if we just believe God, and we wait for him to do what he wants to do when he wants to do it, He's going to overwhelm us in a good way. You want to see revival in Newark? Just say yes to him and get out of his way. Let him do whatever he wants. Your sole job in your relationship with Jesus Christ is to say yes. Is to just get out of his way and say, Lord, whatever. Do whatever you want with me. I don't care. Do whatever. Because, see, my goal is not for him to fill me with the Holy Spirit. My goal is not for me to be able to pray for a person and see the blind healed. My goal is not to speak in tongues and be able to, even though I prayed for it, going to Nigeria and all of a sudden speaking their tongue so I don't need an interpreter. That's not my goal. But that's what the Holy Spirit's going to do. See, my goal is intimacy with Jesus Christ. My goal is to be close with Him. And then just get out of the way of myself. Let Him do whatever He wants. When you do that, it's going to surprise you. It's going to surprise the people around you. <laughs> we need to play this back after it happens. Because it's going to blow us away. I mean, look at the Church of Acts. Read it. I, I, I want each of you this week, read the book of Acts and see what happened. And see if that doesn't excite you. See if 3,000 people coming to know Christ, the first time Peter preached, see if that doesn't excite you. What would happen if 3,000 people got saved in one day in Newark. You know what? It's going to happen. It is, it's going to happen. Why? Because I say it's going to happen? No. Because Jesus wants it to happen. He has been calling for it to happen. He wants to do this. We just got to get out of his way. Let's pray.